If you were unable to attend this year's Making the Case conference, we have good news for you. We've produced a recording of each of the speakers' presentations, all of the worship services, and the hymn sing. You can watch an on-demand video stream or download a podcast for a contribution of $300 to Issues Etc. by Labor Day. Learn more at issuesetc.org or make your $300 check payable to Issues Etc. and send it to Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. I avoid using pronouns for transgender identifying persons, and I reject the new vocabulary because I've seen the suffering to which it leads. I often compare Mormonism to like a a pressure cooker, but it's got no release valve. And they just keep turning up the heat, try harder, and keep improving, keep striving. The Holy Spirit doesn't use errors. He doesn't use false statements. And confidence in certain false statements might actually land you in hell instead of in heaven. Our greatest problem is not suffering. It's suffering and dying without Christ. Higher things attendees receiving free copies of Objections Overruled, Love, Issues, etc. We've had some recent criticism from our listeners over Retaining pro-Trump guests, also some accolades for our Seminex series. That's certainly been a series I've learned a lot from, and a question about purgatory. We're going to kick off today's program with listener email and the Issues Etc. comment line. Greetings and welcome to Issues Etc., coming to you live from the studios of Lutheran Public Radio in Collinsville, Illinois. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for tuning us in. After listener email and the comment line, we'll be teaching a Sunday school lesson on Old Testament Judge Samson, with Pastor Tom Baker. Then Pastor Sean Denzer joins us to look forward to Sunday morning according to the three-year lectionary, the 13th Sunday after Pentecost. Time for listener email or email address talkback at issuesetc.org and the Issues Etc. listener comment line 618-223-8382. Let's begin with an email from Gary and it begins with a screenshot of a tweet from at conservatism DNA. A seditious, mentally ill real estate huckster, twice impeached President of the United States, who incited an armed insurrection to steal an election he lost, compromised national security, first President of the United States, four-time criminally indicted, a rapist guilty of sexual abuse, and Republicans still saying, yes, that's our guy, And then Gary writes, after this tweet, still people like Molly Hemingway and Matt Walsh support the con man. Thanks for listening. Thanks for the feedback, Gary. Um, I don't know exactly how to respond to that. Because, first of all, anyone can say anything on social media. And if it goes uncorrected, it can get reposted all over the place. Which would we been more criticized for? For... Our criticism of President Trump or of not criticizing President Trump? Well, I think, remember 2016, we were pretty, we weren't on the Trump train, I guess you would say, in 2016. You've mentioned this several times. We had no reason to believe that he was would be pro-life, that he would stick to his promise of getting justices who were strict originalists as far as the U.S. Constitution is concerned. During the 2015-16, we got a lot of heat. 
We had people like Mike Horton on talking about him being kind of a political Norman Vincent Peale, viewing the world as winners and losers, got a lot of heat. Robert George was critical of President Trump. And then it dissipated the criticism that we receive regarding any criticism of a former President Trump. But then when we had Bill Barr, his fired attorney general at Speaker Conference, and it kind of resurfaced. The criticism came back again. I guess that's a decent summary. And I don't let, recall a lot of criticism for going too soft on President Trump. Oh. No, we got, a, we got a lot of heat in that 2016 election. A lot of heat. For not, for not criticizing him or for not criticizing for him enough? For being too critical. Too critical. Critical. Okay. Yes. But not for going soft on him. Oh, no. Uh, no. Oh, okay. No. Oh, no. Well, first of all, just be careful about social media because anyone can post anything. It often goes uncorrected. And then if it gets shared enough, it kind of takes on the air of being true, even if it may or may not be true. There may be reasons for people to support President Trump if someone was just a pure pragmatist. I mean, pure pragmatist. All they care about is their party getting back into power then I could see why someone would do that. and Or you could say, like you did, you didn't vote for him in 2016, did in 2020, because he appointed three judges who all voted to overturn Dobbs. Overturn Roe, yes. Overturn Roe, yeah. right. So the surveys appear to indicate that very few of the American people are happy with the choices they're apparently being given and would like to have another choice, whether they're Democrat or Republican. Then there are the kind of hardened base for both candidates that really makes no difference what happens, what the news is. They're going to support either Trump or President Biden regardless. But I think most of the American people, whether they're on the left or on the right, would like to have a different choice. I certainly would. I certainly like to have a different choice. Do you recall there was a professor at Concordia University, Wisconsin at the time. He wrote a column. It was actually published in the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. It was something to the fact neither a Clinton nor a Bush. And he was just advocating anybody but these two. Right. Somebody but the political dynasties. So and we're still dealing with that to a certain degree. For me, I remember going into 2016, maybe I just didn't do enough research on Donald Trump. But to me, he was just a reality television star. I knew him most because <laughs> I was a big Regis Philbin fan. And he was one of Regis Philbin's best friends. So he would often come on the show way back in the day, that morning show, and just talk about whatever Donald Trump wanted to talk about. He, he was a compelling character, no matter what you think of him. So I thought he's a reality TV star. I think he's maybe a businessman of some kind, but a lot of inherited wealth. And he was just an unknown quantity. And then his demeanor during the campaign was... I just, it didn't strike me as someone who is suited in their temperament to be the most powerful man on earth. Not the most presidential president. No. But you did vote from 2020 based on when it came to the life issue, he had three yeah. justices. I wasn't enthusiastic about it. Yeah, but once a lot, I don't think I've been ex enthusiastic about voting for a president since Ronald Reagan. You know, to me, most of the times, 
It's a lesser of two evils. Now, here's what I don't have much patience for is when I see on Facebook, Donald Trump on a horse carrying the Christian flag. I'm sorry. You want to vote for the president, and, and if it comes down to him and Joe Biden, I'll just put my cards in. I'll probably vote for President Trump, maybe. But please do not put Donald Trump as the face of Orthodox Christianity. This is a man who told Frank Luntz in an interview, I've never asked God for forgiveness. And has never said, I take that back. Just realize this is not the banner leader for Orthodox Christianity running for the President of the United States. I see those, and I was like, you've got to be kidding me. Has Christianity got to this point where Donald Trump <laughs> is, is the poster bearer. child, the yeah. standard bearer? I read a really interesting article a couple of weeks ago, and I cannot remember who wrote it or where I read it, but it gave me a little insight into former President Trump. And it was basically the article's thesis was, what you see is what you get. And if you think that there's a different Donald Trump under the surface of all of this, the bravado, there isn't. This is who he is. And I think that's part of his appeal is as obnoxious as he can be, childish, you just throw in any adjective you want. He is himself. So it's not like you get him behind closed doors and he's going to be somebody different. He's just going to be that person. And that, for some reason, has a tremendous appeal for people in a politician because everybody knows that the politicians generally don't present in public the real person that they are. I held out for that. I held out for the reverse Lyndon Baines-Johnson-Wilkin theory, which was Johnson, President Johnson, was in public a just awfully boring person, very deadpan, very businesslike. And of course, we all know now, after the biographies have been written, that behind closed doors, he was Donald Trump. And I kind of held out that there's the mirror image that in public... Donald Trump was this big, brash guy, but then he's the reasonable person behind closed doors. I asked Bill Barr. He said, no. What you see what is you what, see you, is is what, what you, you get. Getting back to my, if it was Biden, Trump, would I vote for? I said probably Trump. But I would never vote for President Biden. I would vote a third party, somebody else, a right-hand candidate, much like I did in 2016. All right. Dan, covered that one. Fort Wayne, Indiana. I've been listening to this fascinating series on Seminex with interest. I grew up in the American Lutheran Church and was only about 10 years old when all this happened, so I learned about it later. After listening to this series, I have to wonder, how did such a ridiculous new way of thinking get so ingrained into the seminaries? It's so obviously a non-Christian approach, so why would these supposedly strong Christian men fall for such foolishness. My ALC home church eventually went into the ELCA because of a failed pastor, but just about everyone in the congregation knew that something serious was wrong. Even our failed pastor wasn't dumb enough to talk about it out loud, although he let slip his gospel reductionist mindset in some private discussions that he had with me. I'm just a layman, but I immediately smelled a rat with this line of thinking. How did these highly trained and supposedly brilliant men end up looking like such idiots and following such a stupid path? I can't understand this. Thanks, concludes Dan in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Two words. 
scholarly pride. I think that explains about 90% of it. Scholarly pride. They were more interested in... The accolades of the world. The accolades of the world, the accolades of... uh, Academia. Academia. The Society for Biblical Literature and whatever other organizations there were for theological academics than they were the truth. And then along comes this way of reading the Bible that's new and allows you to place your reason over Holy Scripture. And they were attracted to it and they bought into it and nearly destroyed an institution on account of it. And their fealty to Scripture and to the Lutheran confessions was jettisoned in the name of we want to be respected by the academic world. And what are you going to get when you send off all your best and brightest to Union Theological Seminary, to Yale, to Harvard, and to all these schools for their doctorates? What are you going to get? You're going to get what they're teaching. Now, I'm not saying you can't get a good degree from a place like Union. Martin Nolan, Dr. Martin Nolan, has a terminal degree from Union. He went there. He kept his head on his shoulders and didn't believe everything his teachers were teaching him, but he got his degree there. But what do you expect? But it's scholarly pride. I think now that we have a generation between us and that event, we can look back and see what was really driving it. It was the desire to be respected by the academic world, and that's what got them the respect by the academic world. And when they left, when that faculty left, they looked back at Concordia Seminary, and they called it a Bible college. Why? Scholarly pride. I think satire and humor are worth defending. I think free speech is worth defending, and I think it's a tool that we need to use in the church. Kyle Mann of the Babylon Bee, speaking at the 2023 Issues Etc. Making the Case Conference. Humor is our tool. Humor is something that God created. The left just co-opted it for all the terrible comedies and stuff that you see and all the vulgar stuff coming out of Hollywood. It's ours, and we're going to reclaim it, and I think that's one of the, one of the missions of the Babylon Bee. The left wants to take down humor. The left demands that things that mock them and point out how ridiculous they are being get torn down. But we're just going to keep answering that with more and more humor. And I think it starts here. It starts in the church. We need to be able to laugh at ourselves. You can watch and listen to a recording of Kyle Mann's presentation, Making the Case Against Cancel Culture, from this year's Making the Case Conference. For a donation of $300, you can download an audio and video recording. Learn more at issuesetc.org. Luther had Wartburg. We have Collinsville. You're listening to Issues Etc. It's commonly said that heresies are 90% truth and only 10% wrong, but it's the 10% that subverts all of Christian doctrine and all of Christian teaching by the essential errors that they promote. Well, if you're wondering about heresies, both ancient and modern, you should pick up a copy of the August issue of The Lutheran Witness, where we talk about these heresies, their ancient roots, and how to mark and avoid them. Visit cph.org witness to subscribe or learn more at our website, witness.lsms.org. Lutheran Witness, helping you interpret the world from a Lutheran perspective. Athanasius, Bishop of Alexandria in the 4th century, was known for boldly confessing Jesus Christ as both true God and true man. 
This is what we do at St. Athanasius Lutheran Church in Vienna, Virginia, just outside Washington, D.C., continuing this historic confession of our Savior, who died for us and now comes to us in word and sacrament. If you live in the D.C. area or just visiting, come join us. For more information, find us on the web, St. Athanasius Lutheran Church. If I ever write this letter, all the I could write. Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. On this Tuesday, August the 22nd, we are going through listener email, talk back at issuesetc.org, and the Issues Etc. comment line 618-223-8382. Here is a thought on the comment line on the word kind. Hi, this is Rob. I remember that Pastor Wolfmuller used to have an, something on his old podcast about bumper sticker theology, and I just saw a bumper sticker that said, make America kind again. And this is something that I've noticed for years now, that kindness is elevated by, it was ubiquitous. If you go into a school, you see, you hear all about kindness. Now, I know that Second Timothy 2 says, and the Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all, able to teach, patient when wronged, with gentleness correcting those who are in opposition. So kindness is Christian, but I'm wondering if it is not elevated to an inordinate way that it replaces love. Love for God, love for our neighbor, genuine love for our neighbor. It's everywhere. Even I'm thinking since I... Oh, I'll quote Jerry Garcia in an old song called Uncle John's Band. What I want to know is, are you kind, he says. Are you kind? So I hope to hear an answer soon. God's blessings and confessional Lutheran deadheads, love, issues, etc. Oh, I didn't know we, we had a confessional Lutheran deadhead group. Of course, no, he was quoting Jerry Garcia. So that that's been in sense. our open theme for probably 12 years. Confessional Lutheran deadheads love issues, et cetera, yep. and that's trucking. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, we've read, yeah, we've that one, and, and oh, he just did a new one too, so we've got a new copy of it if we want. All right, good. Well, okay, no one is so naive as to believe that the world has not taken words like kindness, love, even words like tolerance, and put a new definition on them. So we need to constantly distinguish. If we want to keep these biblical ideas and words, and we should because they're God's ideas and words, and not surrender them to the world, we need to constantly distinguish between the world's definition of a word and Scripture's definition of the word. Now, it's not like the world hasn't redefined things before, but in Western society, we live in a world where one of the devil's strategies is to actively redefine words, define them out of existence, switch definitions. You name it. Isn't so much of our debate in our society over what words mean? Someone had mentioned Matt Walsh. He just made this little documentary, What is a Woman? Just asking people, what does the word woman mean? And the academics, the activists that he interviewed, it's not that they couldn't define it. It's that they wouldn't define it. And part of the reason they wouldn't define it is cowardice. Part of the reason they wouldn't define it is because they realized any definition was going to somehow make someone mad. And part of the reason, I think the biggest reason they didn't want to define it is because they don't want those words defined. 
if you define them, it means that there's a truth. And if truth is totally subjective, totally invented and created in each individual's own mind, then you cannot have objective meanings for words. Let's distinguish between the world's definition of kindness and scripture's definition of kindness. And then let's keep using that word with scripture's definition. And be ready to say, but I don't mean what people usually mean when they say kind. And I don't mean what people usually mean when they say love. I'm operating with God's definition of that word. And that can that become tedious? Of course it can. It's one of the uh, definitions of love in Paul's definition of love in 1 Corinthians 13 is kind, patient and kind. And what we also don't want to do is overreact to the world's redefining of these terms and either give them up entirely and paint a big red flag on them so that if anyone uses them, they somehow are in league with the world or reject them. I recently saw a fellow pastor put something on social media that said, if you consider the fruit of the spirit to be signs of weakness, you're not thinking like a Christian. The overreaction to say, well, the world has taken these words away from us. So those words are now triggers and they're now evidence. If you ever use them, that you're either weak or you're compromised by the world. That's not how Christians do their theology. We don't do theology in reaction to what the world says or in reaction to other errors. We draw our theology from God's word and whatever it says, that is our theology. We don't say, I'm going to wait and to see what the world says, then I'm going to craft my theology in reaction to that. Or I'm going to wait and see, let's say, the old canard about Lutherans and Catholics. I'm going to wait and see what Rome says, and then I'm going to craft my theology. If you look at the Lutheran confessions, they don't do that. They don't say, well, Rome says this, so we're going to say the other thing. They acknowledge where Rome is right and where Rome is wrong, and then they go to God's word to demonstrate what the truth is. And if you, if you do your theology from personal experience, from whatever you lived through in the past, from reacting to the world's way of thinking or reacting to some other branch of Christianity's way of thinking, you're never going to land on the truth. We draw our theology out of God's word and not in reaction to other things. Hello, Issues Etc. team. This is Caleb from Milwaukee. Kind of a different question from what you guys are probably used to getting, but what are your guys' dreams for Issues Etc. if money weren't an issue? What more would you guys love to do to expand the reach of Issues Etc. and Lutheran Public Radio? Also, I love the mindless banter. It gives us a chance to get to know you guys a little more. God bless, and thanks for all you do. Bye. Well, the, the dreamer around here, even though he doesn't come across, is, is Jeff. Jeff's the one who's always forward-thinking about what can we do. What, and I want to I just kind of do a little review. This little radio show podcast that went independent years and years ago, and it, under our previous employer, could never, ever, ever have done what has happened in the last 15 years, or I, I, I lose count of the years. 
could not have done it on our previous employer. We simply, it, we would have been laughed out of the room. If we said, hey, we would like to do a 24-7 sacred music station on streaming on the internet. We would have been laughed out of the room. We want to do issues, et cetera, 24-7. We've got so much programming from so many years. Let's do issues, et cetera, 24-7 streaming on the internet. We want to do Morning Chapel from Kramer Chapel. Why? Why would you want to do that? How about we do a couple apologetics books? Objections overruled. Or how about we do some audiobooks? Could never have done that under our previous employer. Or how about a daily 15-minute verse-by-verse Bible study? Let's just hire Will Whedon to do that, to do a 15-minute Bible study every single weekday. And that never could have happened. Well, those things have happened because we've had the independence and because our listeners have supported us every single step of the way. So what are you thinking, Jeff? I mean, not to give away any trade secrets, but... I think in order to reach a younger generation, we should consider hiring a maybe full-time person to produce TikTok and YouTube videos because that's where the kids are. I think that's an excellent idea. That would be one. You're not talking about people dancing on the internet. You're talking about... No, I'm substantive. About, yeah, like short, uh, very like short form substantive. Done, uh, excellent TikTok videos yeah. have been done for Pastor Whedon. You just asked the question, and people have suggested, "Why don't you guys get on YouTube?" And I'm like, "You don't want it's it's boring." Now we could do the individual interviews, but at some point that becomes, you know, our guests, even though they sound like they're in studio or not in studio, you're just going to look at Wilkins sitting behind a microphone. So, I think that's an excellent idea. I think another one would be to have more conferences and maybe outside of the United States making the case conferences. Yeah, do one every couple of years outside the United States. And I, f- I forgot to mention the conference, you know, a conference, an annual conference. And for some time it was a biannual conference, but an annual conference with uh, over 500 attendees and excellent uh, speakers that, that speak over the course of two days. Never could have done that before. That wouldn't have been laughed out of the room. We might have been fired for even having that idea. You know. No, you, you always said it best, though. They, they usually didn't tell us it was stupid. They did the, we called it the International Centers, the headquarters for the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. You called it the IC for International Center bobblehead. Yeah, they, they like, nod. Yeah, nod, nod, nod. They now, weren't laughing Wilkin in our and faces. Schwarz, yeah. go in the corner, take your crayons and your coloring book, yeah. and... Go color in the corner. Yeah. They, they usually didn't tell us they, they were stupid. They wouldn't laugh at our faces, <laughs> but they were laughing after we left the room. <laughs> right, exactly. Exactly. One thing we've talked about here is possibly transcribing Pastor Whedon's Word of the Lord Endures Forever podcast into Spanish. Testing that out, like doing the Book of Romans. We found out Pastor Whedon does know Spanish, so we might get those translated into Spanish. We know Spanish. he can order drinks in Spanish. I have oh, yet yes. to hear him speak Spanish. <laughs> yes, well, he just he just spoke, all oh, they did have a translator, but he was in the Dominican Republic, what, what two weeks ago, teaching. Again, for... ordering drinks. I saw where he was. <laughs> yeah. It was a resort. When you think Dominican, don't think, don't picture Pastor Will Whedon walking down but the dusty saw roads where of a village. Stayed. You saw where he stayed. He was actually teaching dozens of seminarians Right. In the Dominican He was Republic. doing a great job. He so was. we've talked about that, a Spanish-speaking podcast. That's another idea. So those, those are just a few thoughts. You may say I'm a dreamer, but I'm not the only one. <laughs> 
Speaking of international, this comes from Celia in Norway. A big thank you for the episode with Dr. Joel Bierman on moralistic therapeutic deism. Dr. Bierman is excellent, and I hope to hear more from him via your channels in the future. I would love to hear more episodes going deeper into the topic he addressed. I wish you could spend more time elaborating on how our Christian faith differs from moralistic therapeutic deism, what we need to look out for in our own ways of thinking, and how to talk with the average Joe about the Christian faith. Thank you so much for all you who make issues, et cetera, happen. And thank you for listening in Norway. Celia. Celia, thank you very much. And yes, I agree. That was an excellent conversation with Dr. Bierman. If you, I think that's one of the, one of the most useful conversations we have recently because for the very reason that Celia points out, and that is if you realize going into any conversation or, or with, with the average person, that it's highly likely that they believe that there's a God although they don't really want to put a definition on that God, that they also uh, believe that there's a, a, a right and wrong, even though they're going to probably tend to be very inconsistent in their application of that, that they believe that the basic goal of life is to feel better or feel okay or just not feel bad about their life situation. You're dealing with a moralistic therapeutic deist. And knowing that that is their complex of beliefs, even though it may not be articulated in any way or even realized, gives you a place to begin when you're actually going to speak God's word with them. At least you have a place to begin. Now, I think this is a transitory period, though. I think the time, we're going to look back maybe 10 years from now and say, while the predominant spirituality in the Western world is therapeutic moralistic deism maybe 10 years from now we're going to have to drop everything but therapeutic because the natural knowledge of god while it is intensely powerful god has woven into our wiring a natural knowledge of him that is not saving knowledge but we simply know that there is a god can be resisted and at least in the western world i think it is actively being resisted so Ten years from now, we might just be talking about not even deists anymore. Quickly, Gene writes, I was thrilled to see your promo for Issues Etc. on the Babylon Bee podcast. For years, I've been commenting to the Bee to please consider the conservative Lutherans. I hope you and the people at the Babylon Bee have a long and productive association. Thanks for listening. Thanks for the email, Gene. Happy to have the the help of the guys at Babylon B. We had Kyle Mann speak recently at our summer conference, and he had such a good time. He can go back and talk about it. I think there is somebody. Isn't there a Lutheran? In, yeah, yeah on one the, of the podcasts, the Lutheran Adam. I can't remember what his name was. I can't remember what his name. I'm saying Kisner. That's the Cardinals backup <laughs> catcher, St. Louis Cardinals backup catcher. But yeah, he was in one of the promos on the Babylon B podcast. He said, I'm the token Lutheran here at the Babylon B or something like that. All right, when we come back from this break, we're going to spend some time with Pastor Tom Baker. He joins us every week to teach a Sunday school lesson. We'll be in the Old Testament Judge Samson's story, the end of it at least, next.
Was the reformer Martin Luther innovating or in error when he added the word alone to Romans 3.28, for we hold that one is justified by faith alone apart from works of the law? Find out in Pastor Will Whedon's column in the latest Issues Etc. Journal. In the Wittenberg Trail feature, Dr. Donna Harrison details her journey to confessional Lutheranism from Catholicism, Scientism, Mysticism, and Evangelicalism. The free online Issues Etc. Journal. Just click the red Journal subscription button at issuesetc.org. In a child's life, meaningful relationships matter when it comes to academic development and spiritual nurture. In Lutheran schools, students know they are uniquely and wonderfully made in God's image. Each day in over 1,800 Lutheran schools, children experience a rich, academic, loving, and Christ-centered environment where they can explore and develop their God-given talents and abilities. To find a Lutheran school near you, visit lcms.org schools. Old theology, new technology. You're listening to Issues Etc. Is your child struggling at school? Are you thinking about homeschooling? Would you like help knowing what to teach and how to teach it? The Simply Classical curriculum from Memoria Press provides an enriching, step-by-step classical Christian education for students who have autism, learning or behavioral difficulties, ADHD, and more. You'll find everything you need, including daily lesson plans to guide your way. Learn more at simplyclassical.com. Use LPR23 to save on your order. simplyclassical.com. Not everyone is comfortable with new technology. Dial-A Podcast gives all generations of your congregation an easy way to hear your sermons or even devotionals and Bible studies. Once you've completed a simple one-time setup, we take care of the rest. All your congregants have to do is dial the number from any phone to listen to your latest podcast, all at no additional cost to them. Dial-A Podcast. Extend the reach of your sermons. Get started at dialapodcast.com now.